So I had uh, time this week, two different on two different occasions, to spend some time with Amy Wilson Phelps, who will be the new pastor at Morningstar, uh, starting uh, the end of June, when uh, I'll be on my way or already in Albuquerque, actually. And so, um, Amy and I've known each other for about ten years now, maybe just slightly over ten years, and we used to really enjoy seeing one another in Abilene when we both were in ministry there and sharing ideas and conversing with one another. And I had forgotten how much I missed that. And so uh, she and I had talked about doing a video together so that I could kind of help introduce her to you and you to her. Um, And so we got on Zoom this week and I was recording the conversation. I really thought like we would just talk for about five minutes or so. So I wasn't paying attention to time, honestly. And we talked and I got the recording from Zoom and I sent it to Stuart and Diane and Stuart texted and he was like, you realize this is 18 minutes, right? And I was like, nope. And so um, he edited it down. So you're going to get to see part of that conversation today. And then in the midweek update, you need to watch that this week because there's more of our conversation in that because I didn't figure you wanted to come to a movie theater this morning and watch me have a conversation with Amy. So Um, With all of that said, um, watch this video of Amy and I having a brief conversation. Star, you all, if whether you're in church this morning and watching this, or you're at home and watching this, or watching it after the fact, you are in for a treat this morning because it's my uh, it's my gift, I guess, to get to introduce to you your next pastor, Amy Wilson Phelps. And so we are here this afternoon recording for you, um, and we're gonna just spend some time talking, and then uh, we're going to play Three Truths and a Lie so that you'll get to learn some more about who Amy is and, and what she's about, and I'm, I'm super excited for you all. So, um, Amy, I think the first time, well, actually, I know the first time I saw you was when you got ordained. I was, um, it was at St. Paul UMC in Abilene, and I had literally moved to town maybe a day or two prior to that and was like between unpacking boxes, walking across the street to McMurray University to attend things and then uh, went to the church that night for the ordination service. So I was there when you and Pam Rowley got ordained. But then the first conversation I really remember having with you, um, I think it was uh, maybe Ryan Strebeck told a, a mutual, another friend of ours said, um, you you got to know Amy. She's great. You guys are going to get along. And so you and I set up a time for me to come to the medical mission where you were working. And then we walked to a taco shop or something and had lunch together. And you were kind of sharing me that sharing with me the ins and outs of the conference. But if I'm, I almost feel creepy that I remember all of that, because I don't know if you remember any of it. <laughs> I I do, I, of course. Uh, Ross, thank you so much for this. I want to say it's a gift for me too. And also, of course, I remember the ordination. I don't remember, honestly, that you were there. <laughs> oh, well, I, I sat way in the back and, and left. I, I didn't even do anything. I just was kind of there and watching. So, 
I remember your ordination, however, because I was on the board of ordained ministry by then was able to walk with you in that. But I certainly remember talking at the medical care mission. And then I think it was La Popular. We walked over uh, across the street to La Popular and had some Carnegie Sada or something like that. So absolutely yeah, remember man. that. We and, have and great I, Mexican food in yeah. Las Cruces, Amy. You're going to love it, but we don't have tortillas like they had at La Popular. No way. <laughs> Honestly, I live in El Paso right now, and I still haven't found those. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that was those were good times in in Abilene. What? So you were at the Presbyterian Medical Mission and at at Grace UMC, and both of those were part time to make up a full time appointment, right? Almost. Um, the medical care mission was actually a full time appointment, and I. For, so for a year, I served there only. And then after that year, I was also appointed to Grace part-time. So it was full-time plus. Okay. Yeah, that's fun. And, yeah. then, and then from there, you became the associate at Aldersgate, right? Correct. So for a year, I was still at the medical care mission. So I was full-time at the clinic as the director of spiritual wellness there, and then part-time as the associate at Aldersgate. So I began serving in that capacity right after I was ordained. And then after a year of those dual roles, I became full-time at Aldersgate. So that is where I, you know, I didn't know much of your ministry um, at the medical mission. But when you got to Aldersgate, that's where I was like, oh, man, this this lady is a rock star. Like the the work that you did with uh, the elementary school, um, bottom, uh, yeah, Bowie Elementary School and and then the, the neighborhood gardens and gosh, just so many great ministries that you started that I saw as that were building disciples at Aldersgate, but also it seemed as though. Um, we're doing real beautiful outreach work in the community. And was, of course, Elise and Emery went to Dewey Elementary School for all the a couple of years that we were there. So they would come home. We saw Miss Amy today, or they would talk about other people from, from Aldersgate. Um, so I know you have no idea exactly what you're going to be doing um, at Morningstar, but I think those are some clues that like, of the type of ministry you're passionate about. How did you find that passion? How did, how did you, how did you figure that out about yourself that you wanted to be connected to the community like that? Well, that was always really important to me. I actually started seminary thinking that I would also earn a master's in social work. And I was not really planning necessarily even to, to be an elder in the church. So that was an evolving kind of a thing. Um, so it was it was more turning it around and seeing that I could be in a traditional church setting and continue to pursue those matters of community building and social justice from the pulpit. And as you said, through discipleship as well, to understand that I didn't have to pick, I could actually do those things together. And that was something that was slowly revealed to me, I think, in a way that that I could finally hear it. (laughs) um, I was a little resistant. I was a little, as you can see, I started at a clinic and then I was part-time at church and then part-time as an associate. And so it took a little while, I think, for the spirit to reveal that fully to me, probably because I wasn't ready before then. So certainly in whatever setting I find myself, I look for ways that we can grow as disciples 
in a way that connects us to the neighborhood and where we can learn from our neighbors as well. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I don't know what that looks like for me at Morningstar, but I'm really excited to discover what that means for me and for my family and for the church. One of the things that I've always felt um, around you, Amy, is like a, a genuine sense that you are authentic and that you're very sensitive to the spirit. And so all of the ministry, like, you know, sometimes I, I I've noticed, um, I noticed in myself and, and definitely um, you can just kind of see it around church world that people will see a program um, and be kind of enthralled by it and be like, how do we get that going here? And you seem to be really good at being yourself in ministry. And so I'm excited to see what that's going to look like and what the spirit of God's going to lead you uh, to at Morningstar. Like, because I know, I just know your sensitivity to the spirit of God and I know it's going to be great. So um, tell us a little bit about your family. Like I know uh, that's obviously a major part of your life. And if if anybody at Morningstar follows you on social media yet, they're starting to get little snippets of, of who your family is. But tell us a little bit about Jason and the kids. So my family, I mean, I've been so incredibly fortunate to, to live with four remarkable people. Jason is my husband. He met me while I was preaching. So he was working at McMurray. And he was in chapel one day when I was the guest preacher. I know you did some of that guest preaching at McMurray's chapel as well. And that's how we met. He says he doesn't remember a word of that sermon, which is really frustrating to me because I'm sure that it was the best sermon that I've ever preached because yeah. it was about justice. So uh, anyway, we met in, in 2010 and we were or actually we met in 2009. We started dating in 2010 and were married in in 2011, just after I was ordained. So we will celebrate our 10th anniversary in October. We have three kids. Natalie is six, Augustus or Augie is five, and Olivia Kay is 18 months old. So our house is very exciting. It is rarely quiet. <laughs> um, we are learning from these, these wonderful gifts of ours, our children. And Jason also, just so you know about him, he has a doctorate in organizational development and leadership. So he's kind of my leadership guru. He specializes actually in servant leadership. And so anytime I have questions about developing leaders within the church and within the community, uh, he's right there with the latest theory or something that he's tried. And so I hope that you all get a chance to, to talk with him soon. He's a, a pretty fascinating guy. So that's my family. Jason's a lot of fun. I, I'll, I've always enjoyed uh, the times I get to be around Jason also.
Our reading this morning is a poem entitled Self-Portrait, a poem by David White. It doesn't interest me if there is one God or many gods. I want to know if you belong or feel abandoned, if you know despair or can see it in others. I want to know if you are prepared to live in the world with its harsh need to change you. If you can look back with firm eyes saying, this is where I stand. I want to know if you know how to melt into that fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequence of love and the bitter, unwanted passion of your sure defeat. I have been told in that fierce embrace, even the gods speak of God. David White uh, is the author of that poem and is, uh, I would say, my favorite author, uh, favorite poet, I guess I should say. He is uh, from the UK, and his poems are kind of all of that ilk, right? Like doing some self-reflection, seeing how the world affects us and how we can affect the world. And so I would encourage you to look into him. His last name is spelled W-H-Y-T-E. Um, and if you listen to On Being with Krista Tippett, he's been on there several times, so you can go back and find some of those old episodes. I'm going to, I'll come back to that uh, poem shortly, but before I do that, I want to read to you um, this passage from the Gospel of John, and, and the passage that I'm going to spend most of my time in that's going to be on the screen is John 15, 9 through 17, so if you want to follow along with your own Bible, you can move to John 15. I'm actually going to, as I started, I have this thing that happens to me sometimes on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights where I dream about my sermon, and I'll get good ideas from it sometimes. It's really weird, and night before last, I woke up, and I was like, I need to write that down, and I fell asleep before I did, and I forgot it, um, and then this morning, I woke up, and I had remembered what I, what I was wanting to say, but I have to read to you. Uh, from John chapter 15, starting with verse 4, um, to be able to say everything that I felt like God was leading me a few nights ago to say. So Jesus is giving what uh, we typically call his farewell address, and that's not why this isn't my farewell address. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, because that's just too much for me, um, and I'm selfish that way. I don't want to get that emotional, and so... Um, but this is Jesus preparing his disciples, his closest friends, and those who kind of are on the fringes that follow him around a lot for what is coming. His, his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension into heaven. And then, and then what do you do as you prepare for Christ's return? Like that's what this, the end of John is about. And Jesus says this. He says, remain in me. And I will remain in you. And what you need to know is that's not a, um, if you, I will. It's a, hey, listen, remain in me because I'm going to remain in you. We're not going to be left alone. Whatever is happening in our lives, we will not be left alone. Jesus 
is going to remain in and with us in it. And so he's just saying, because I'm doing that, you should remain in me also. Like, stay with me. Stay with the things that I teach. Stay with the way that I say to live. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. So this is where Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me, I'll remain in you. You can't produce fruit by yourselves. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. But without me, you can't do anything. If you don't remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up and thrown into a fire and burned. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit and in this way prove that you are my disciples. And then we get into verse 9. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you and remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, and I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends. Because everything I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit, so that your fruit could last. And as a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. I give these commandments to you so that you can love each other. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. At first glance, I always feel like this passage about I am the vine and you are the branches, remain in me and I'll remain in you. And if you produce fruit, that's great. But if you don't produce fruit, you'll be kind of pruned off and thrown and you'll dry up and they gather those limbs up and they throw them in the fire. And also, like, you're my friends. I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends because you do what I command. And all of that just seems kind of harsh, right? Like, I typically think of Jesus as the one who is going out to the people that nobody else really wants to be around, the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the average everyday people who are just struggling through life and, and offering them love and grace and helping them and us recognize the grace of God, like who God the Creator really is. We recognize that through the way that Jesus interacts with other people. And so I always choose to see 
the really tender, kind, loving, friendly side of Jesus. One of uh, a, a band that I really like, the Avett Brothers, have a song <clears throat> about um, having no enemies. And there's a line in it that I heard this morning on my way to church, and it made me smile. And the, 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 the brothers who wrote this song are writing about, like, on the day that they die, what will happen. And they're hoping that they will see their great shave, Savior and shake hands with a laugh. I love that image of Jesus. That one day we will all see him face to face and we'll do that thing that guys do sometimes where they like reach to shake hands, but then they're like, ah, oh, forget that. And then they hug each other, you know? And I, I just imagine that happening with a lot of laughter on Jesus' side and a lot of laughter on my side. And uh, that's how I like to see Jesus. That's how I like to think of him. But when I read this passage, it feels harsh. So the challenge for me when I come across a passage like this is, Chuck, where is the grace? Because I never want to leave a church service after having preached without leaving you with this is where the grace is. So this is what I came to this morning. The one main commandment that Jesus gives, and he gives it repeatedly in various ways, and he shows it to us, and the way he lives is to love one another. Love one another. The world is full of easy ways to dislike and hate. Our job is to love one another. And the only way that we can do that is if we remain in Jesus. And Regardless of whether we remain in Jesus, Jesus will remain in us, guiding us and leading us. And if we remain in Jesus, we're able to see the difficulties of loving other people and the difficulties of loving ourselves and the difficulties of the things around us as grace, as an opportunity to recognize the presence of God with us even in the difficulties. Now, that's not to say that I wish difficulties on my life, for sure, and I definitely don't wish them on your life, but what I hope is that when we encounter difficulties, when our jobs lead us to a new city, when one job is coming to an end and we're struggling to find another job, when a relationship is falling apart that we thought was going to last forever, when we get a diagnosis from a doctor that nobody ever wants to hear. That even in those times, the most difficult of things that we can experience, God is with us because Jesus promises to remain in us. And I think that what Jesus is saying is, if you can remain in me, even in those times, you will have the ability to love yourself and love other people and in that relationship, in those interactions, you will see God. The difficulties that we experience are the pruning. 
I'm terrible at gardening. I always want to be good at it, but I'm never good at it. And one thing I learned from a friend of mine a few years ago was that if you're trying to grow tomatoes, these little, uh, little offshoots will grow off of the main vine called suckers. So you don't want to be a sucker, right? Because what a sucker does is it sucks the energy from the plant and it keeps it from producing fruit. And sometimes in our lives, we have suckers that become part of our lives. Things that we do, habits that we build, uh, relationships that we enter into that are suckers. They pull the joy from our lives. They pull the hope from our lives. They take from us. They take from us, and they keep us from producing fruit. And so on a tomato vine, you just pinch them off. And I just pinch them off and throw them in the ground, and I assume they're going to become compost or something. But it doesn't seem to help because my tomatoes never grow. But what Jesus is saying is, the things in your lives, the things that happen, that are taking and not making it, making it much more difficult to love one another, are the suckers. And those things are going to be pruned off. And you may not like it, because you might really like the suckers that you've allowed into your life. But they're going to be pruned off, and they're going to dry up and wither away, and then they're going to go become a fire. And here's what you need to know. Oftentimes, that fire is interpreted as the fires of hell. But in Scripture, when prophets are talking, and they talk about fire, and Jesus was a prophet and the Messiah, right? When prophets are talking about fire... They're talking about refining. They're talking about purifying. And so that fire represents us being purified and us being made more whole. So we have to be open to God's grace to pull the suckers off and allowing us to become purified and more whole. Therefore, we produce more fruit, which honors God, and in the process, we find more joy because who doesn't want to be in more loving relationships? What would the world look like if all of us received more love and gave more love? David White. To me, this self-portrait poem is a love poem. And it's terrifying because he really names what love is. So listen, listen to it again. Not that I can read it better than Chelsea did, but now that you're like attuned to like what we're talking about, maybe you can hear it a little differently. Listen, it doesn't interest me if there is one God or many gods. Basically, he's saying, I don't care what your faith is and what your religion is. That's not necessarily what interests me. I want to know if you belong or if you feel abandoned. If you know despair or can you see it in others. I want to know if you're prepared to live in the world with its harsh need to change you. Are we prepared, friends, to live in a world that doesn't want us to share more love but wants us to hoard more love? If you can look back with firm eyes and say, this is where I stand. 
I want to know if you know how to melt into that fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequence of love and the bitter, unwanted passion of your sure defeat. The very first time I read this poem, that line and the very end of this poem literally took my breath from me. I, it, my breath got caught in my chest because I was caught up in like, oh, this is going to be a beautiful love poem. And he says, I want to know if you're ready to live into the fact that you will be defeated. And can you continue on? Because life has struggles. And are we going to allow the struggles to keep us from melting into the passion of the center of Jesus, which is love one another? My biggest hope, my biggest hope for my life and for my family's life and for your lives is that you can find the joy of Christ through sharing your love. Through receiving, allowing yourself to love yourself and allowing other people to love you. Because sometimes we're pretty prickly and we don't want people to love us because we're so self-loathing. But we have to love ourselves. That way other people can love us. We can receive their love and we can give more love. And we do that because as David White says, it's in that space that even the gods speak of God. In the name of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.